0: Welcome to the Emerging Minds Families Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Nadia Rossi, and you're listening to an Emerging Minds Families Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about the important role educators can play in supporting children who have experienced trauma. We will be touching on themes of abuse and neglect. So please, if you feel this may cause you distress, perhaps give this episode a miss and join us next fortnight. Or you can find resources for support in our show notes. Previously on the show, we have spoken in depth with Dan Moss to help us unpack and understand relational trauma and how it can affect the mental health and well-being of children. If you haven't already listened to this fantastic conversation, you can find it in our list of previous episodes. Today, however, we are speaking with Justin MacArthur. He is an early years educator at Gowrie, South Australia, with over 20 years experience working with children from early childhood to primary school age. Justin has a special interest in working with children who have experienced trauma and is here to talk with us about that today. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> no, thanks for coming. Perfect. Namani no everyone, which is the Ghana welcome. Justin, can you tell us a bit about how you came to work in childhood education? Yeah, look, tell us your story.
0: (laughs) It's an interesting one. I was volunteering at Edmund Rice camps and doing what would have at the time been called mandated notification facilitating. So I was supporting kind of other educators, teachers and stuff in their mandated notification. And so from there, the person I was working with's mum was a director of a childcare centre and said they were looking for people. And I'm like, I just kind of stepped out of doing junior primary education at uni and was doing a bit of of work at an out of school cares service as well, and so I thought, hey, I'll give it a go, and just immediately fell in love with the space. It was just a different way of exploring learning and education like completely different and so I didn't have any of those pressures that the school system does and it just suited me really well and so yeah haven't really looked back and so yeah I worked there f- at that centre for probably about 11 years and then worked at Gowrie from then on so I've been at Gowrie for almost eight years
1: Wow, it's quite some time Yeah, it is quite some time
0: (laughs) But I just feel like that work hasn't finished yet for me And when you think about it, it kind of never will really Because all children are different and individuals And bring a different set of rules or struggles or traumas with them And so each way you work with a child is very unique
1: And Justin, when we use the word trauma Can you explain to our listeners what are we talking about? We're talking about a massive
0: life impact, and this can be many things, all the way from uh, like witnessing or being a part of a violent act to sexual abuse, neglect, all the way through to medical trauma where you've had an operation and something's not quite right afterwards or a person in your family's had a traumatic experience through the hospital system or something like that and witnessing that. So it's like witnessing or being a part of a very impacting part in your or someone else's life.
1: And I know it's an area of strong interest to you but how did you get there? Which is really interesting I can't
0: really pinpoint it there's a couple of children for me that I go like you were the point in time where I went ah this is really important work and these children showed me the way through their needs and kind of their struggles and just I seem to have with them this symbiotic relationship and I think a lot of the basis of it is an empathetic lens, like shifting your perspective of who they are and especially their behaviours. Because for children, a lot of children with complex traumas, their communication comes through behaviours and some of these can be violent behaviours, dysregulated, really emotional, not being able to kind of control their emotions and it's so up and down for them. And it can go the other way as well. They're very withdrawn or quiet or like constantly sad. It's a lot of guesswork and it's finding what sticks and finding out what the triggers are and trying to minimise those triggers in an environment so that they feel safe. And a lot of it's based on trust. And that's the hard one, it's especially for someone with trauma, is building a space of trust with yourself and the child. And what does trust look like in a child? It's really hard, especially a child with complex traumas because innately they do not trust because that is a coping mechanism for them. If something's happened to them from another adult or something else that's really impacted them, there is a loss of trust. Mm. And to then come into a space where you need to work close with adults that you don't really know, that mistrust comes to the foreground mm. and sort of thing. So inner is like, I guess like I talked about before is that change of empathy mm. and being able to empathise with them and understand and kind of almost, in a way, sometimes I describe it, it's like holding their trauma so they don't have to. So they can just have a moment in time to be a child. And that's the important thing, I think, is alleviating all those things. Not that they're not going to go away and it's not a magic pill. Just to take it away for a few moments so they can actually be a child and kind of enjoy those things that children do.
1: And when you talk about taking their trauma or holding their trauma yeah. for them, in maybe like a practical sense to early childhood educators, what is that for them? What are some well, strategies you can do? I guess
0: strategies is it's built on building that trusting relationship, so showing that you're unwavering, that you're a solid rock for them, that no matter what they do or say or what behaviours they are trying to communicate through, You're not going to change the way you approach them or the way that you care for them. You're going to be solid as a rock in that rocky sea that they live in.
1: And I'm thinking environmentally as well, like space wise, like what can you, I guess, as an educator or even as a centre, show a child that may have experienced trauma that this is a safe environment for them?
0: So we've done a lot of work around sensory processing in our environments and what that looks like for a lot of different children. So lots of children who sit on the spectrum or have complex trauma and how sort of things, lots of colours or bright lights or flashing lights and lots of noise can be triggers for them. And so we've created safe, quiet spaces which they know they can retreat to to escape all those things and normalising their behaviour within the community so that other children understand and know that at this point in time this child needs to retreat and we can give them their space because that's their right
1: that's amazing yeah it is actually (laughs) that's the thing that keeps me in
0: this children are so powerful and amazing beings their sense of resilience and understanding and accepting of truth blows my mind all the time I see it every day and I see it in different ways and Sometimes I see it that I didn't realise even happened or existed and so it's quite surprising and makes every day different.
1: And even just creating that space for every child, yeah, I think, and sure. every child to yeah. feel safe, but also how you can educate other children to know that this particular child needs this and yeah, you may need sure. this at some point. Yeah. And, and it's t- that
0: idea of equity that you yeah. know some people need more scaffolding and support than others to actually exist at the same level
1: justin what would you say to a family that has a child that has experienced trauma what would you say to them when how would they engage with an early childhood center or Learning that's service. a really
0: good question and I think for us at Gowrie, it's really easy because we're quite open about it and we put ourselves in a position with open arms that allow families to be in a safe space to talk about these things so we can create best outcomes for their children. For a parent attending another service and I'm curious it's just simple questions asking about like have they done trauma informed? practice training, what's their understanding of working with children with trauma. So those initial questions, even though it can be tricky and even for them it can be a hard space for them to talk about like their child's trauma, which would also be impacting them and being vulnerable about where they're sitting in the world but some of that stuff is really important to talk about with educators so they have a greater understanding and then can have that shift of empathy and understand and so that they're not in a space where they're just dismissing behaviours they can read into that behaviour, because we we know through research that children's behaviours are a form of communication, so they're trying to tell us something through their behaviours, and children with complex trauma, that is their biggest language set, because they're in points that they're feeling so out of control, they can't articulate what's happening for them. The behaviour talks for them.
1: And so that's where the empathy and holding space for them comes. Yeah, And definitely. letting them kind of be yeah, in that for sure. trauma or in that experience that may be triggering their trauma. Trauma.
0: Well, not necessarily. Well, trying to kind of minimise the triggers, but sure. allowing them to be okay with what they're feeling. Sure. You know what i mean so they can acknowledge that okay i'm feeling this way or i'm feeling that way or reasons why we do this a really good example of that would be a child that i worked with had complex traumas he had an oral fixation so to soothe himself and to bring himself down everything would go in the mouth so it's like and lots of dangerous stuff as well stones bark chips clay anything that they could put in their mouth because they needed that to regulate to be in the world and it was really interesting one morning mum dropped him off in the morning and he wasn't ready for mum to go but mum needed to go and it was just one of those things and I said look I'm ready to support this child and so it became out of control so there was fists flying kicking all these sorts of things but in that moment I was able to stand steadfast for that child and support them through it and we got to a point where he was in so dysregulated in the way he was feeling that he bolted so and we'll talk about those sorts of things a bit later around fight flight freeze fawn and what that looks like for children so he ran and he crawled into this tiny space and kind of just everything was going in his mouth Mm. and I'm like I need to get in there because this is a safety issue now Mm. and so I don't know how I got myself in there (laughs) but I crawled in with them and supported them to get the the bar chips out of his mouth and we talked and, and this was a really aha moment for me I said oh I wonder what it is about putting things in your mouth and he goes it makes me feel safe and I just went right I get it i understand now and from that moment we were able to then redirect that to safe options like crunchy crackers frozen fruit all that sort of thing to a point where they would get to i'm feeling this way i need some crackers and so like wouldn't swallow most of the crackers it'd just be (laughs) and just crackers everywhere but that crunching on those crackers were able to bring that child back down kind of out of those moments.
1: And even that question, the wording, I wonder why the question that you put back to the child, they may never have even been asked that. Everyone's trying to keep them safe. Safe. Don't swallow the thing, don't Don't put the thing in your mouth. But no one's actually sat with them in that moment and asked them why.
0: And that's, that's part of that trust space. When you're in a moment where things are safe, asking questions I guess reasonable questions for them stuff that isn't going to trigger them or push them further but just wonderings and lots of open-ended questions and what is it about this or what is it about that or I wonder what you are feeling and you'll find over time and it takes a long time of just constantly doing that. and to kind of build that sense of trust that they're able to then start to recognise those own things in their body. And that's part of the key, I think, for these children is being able to support them to recognise when they're about to become highly dysregulated and actually seek support because that's what we're here for.
1: I'm wanting to go back to something you mentioned yeah, just yeah, before sure. about when you said to the child's mum, I'm ready to support this child. Yeah. As an educator, how do you prepare yourself in that moment or ready yourself in that moment yeah. because you know you may be in for an uphill battle? Yeah, for sure. How do you center yourself you and how do you prepare?
0: So I guess to extend on that gallery we use a script which is based on kind of attachment theory and a few other people's work and it talks around the script goes are you ready for me to take charge and keep your child safe so it's a statement that you're making to both the child and the family that you as an educator are committed To being with and keeping that child safe no matter what and it's a really strong commitment as well and so in those moments and sometimes when you say that's actually a trigger point for some of these children as well because you know they know that this is the time that we're going to do this and so I guess as an educator and speaking about myself and everyone has different ways of doing it it's about those moments of a quick deep breath and then just dive in It's like diving into the ocean into the rocky sea Mm. and kind of just holding them whether it's holding them physically or whether it's just being with and holding them that way and not just talking through it because when they're really heightened they're not ready to receive that information and so it's about being with them whether it's giving them a hug or just being close and just letting them know that you're there Mm -hmm. and stuff like that.
1: What role do parents play with the child that has experienced trauma? How do parents support their child? See, that's
0: really hard because a lot of children are completely different in an educational setting than they are at home. Like all children are really. You'll get, parents always get a lot more than we do around emotional regulation and stuff like that. And so, especially I'm thinking about a child that I work with at the moment who has complex trauma who masks their trauma. So we'll spend all day holding on to it and holds on and holds on, won't let it show, won't let it show until he gets into the car after ke- after being at Kindy. then it's on. It all comes out. It's really hard for me as an educator to give advice to those parents about supporting that child. There's lots of really good things like circle of security parenting that are really good about ideas of kind of supporting children with their emotional needs and what that looks like. But it's million times more intense for the child with like complex trauma and each child who sits in that space is completely different and so because everyone's trauma is different so it looks different so it's really i guess the things i would say is things around that empathetic shift and knowing what the triggers are which parents would know because they're going through the process if you are in a space where you're really unsure it's like reaching out and seeking help from psychologists and things like that who are professionals in unlocking those sorts of things and so then in that sense when we get Information from those types of professionals, we can implement strategies based around their reports and those sorts of things, and plus with our past experience. So, a lot of this is just on the ground experience with children and sort of what works. So, it's like lots of it is a guessing game and just finding out what sticks.
1: And how do you see? trauma-informed practice helping children to build resilience and coping mechanisms to help with their trauma. Yeah
0: definitely like there's no we're not a magic pill for that and there's never going to be a magic pill in supporting someone with their trauma because it's their trauma we can only support them with strategies that are safe options that reflect what their needs are, like I talked before about the oral fixation stuff. It's like finding safer options and supporting them to understand what their body's trying to tell them Mm. as it gets to that point before it gets to crisis point. And just when it is in crisis point, just being with them, which is really hard and can be really confronting, and I think you have to dig down really deep to kind of sit in that space.
1: Mm. You mentioned earlier about the fight... Flight.
0: Freeze and fawn. Freeze and fawn. Yeah.
1: I've only ever heard of fight or flight response.
0: Because trauma affects people in different ways. So fight and flight is really easy. Like someone will just come out and just fight because they've flipped their lid and Mm. there's no connection between the cortex and the limbic. And so it's all on and they're just fighting to save themselves Mm. from a threat that might not even be there and flight is just running a mile just running just running from perceived threat and so and you notice these children as well just constantly scanning the environment looking for where the next threat is coming from and you just go like that's must be such a hard space for them to sit in. And
1: tiring, they, like yeah, exhausting. It's exhausting.
0: It was really interesting, a child that I talked about before with oral fixation, I remember Lindsay, my program leader coming out and actually speaking about that child because we'd done a lot of work mm-hmm. and going, there's a child who's not scanning the environment and I went, oh he's not either and it's, it's so obvious you just see their eyes, just looking mm-hmm. looking, looking and they're in a safe space and we're there to keep them safe but they're scanning mm-hmm they just can't stop they're worried about where that next event is going to come from Mm. so i guess comes back to freeze is just they shut down they just internalize don't move just kind of go really quiet limp and just don't engage in anything and warning is making sure that people are happy because if people are happy they're not going to get angry you're not going to get hurt just pleasing everyone so no one gets into a space where they're worried that the next experience is going to happen for them. Wow, I yeah. did not think that that's what fawn was. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's really so... It's yeah. And that one kind of really took me by surprise. It's like, oh, wow. It's that like children really trying to please people so that they can feel safe.
1: I'm wondering, Justin, if you can leave our audience with any important points from our conversation yeah. or any final thoughts you would there's leave? I guess a couple of to. things. Yeah. Like,
0: it's really around that empathetic shift. I guess parents have that naturally anyway with their children but it's with children with trauma it's about really sticking to that because some of the behaviours can be very confronting. And I think a really important thing that I would suggest and do suggest to a lot of families who sit in that space is filial therapy, which is play therapy. So it's a therapy that's based on play, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it uses the language that children know, which is play, to explore the world. But it actually allows, gives them space to process that traumatic experience or event. So I was lucky enough to do a filial therapy project at work because we noticed we had a real overload of children with complex trauma and our CEO at the time had been doing some research into it and we were luckily enough they engaged a filial therapist to come on board and they trained us to be the facilitator of the sessions which is what they would do for a parent. And there's some really good things around it because a, it builds a stronger connection with the caregiver, parent and the child because lots of it's based on relationship, but then it allows the children to go through all these modes of play to be able to process that traumatic event. So in a situation, there'd be a mat on the floor that you'd see onto play and you'd be surrounded by many toys. There'd be kind of nurturing toys, there'd be violent toys be all sorts of stuff writing tools playing cards Mm. and stuff like that and they're really specifically set out to go along that process of processing the trauma so for this child that i did the project with their trauma came from abuse in utero Mm -hmm. so the mother Faced lots of domestic violence and drug abuse and stuff like that and that was in for that child was in Newtory so mm-hmm. the play was very chaotic and destructive at first and wasn't really what you would expect a child to play and engage in and we weren't there to direct the play, but to just follow the play and be involved in the play. And I suspected that this is where it would go, but we went straight for the guns and the swords. And for weeks and weeks during this process, I was shot and had to die so many times. That can be really confronting for people as well to actually go through that process, but I knew that. This is what that child needed to do yeah and so you could see this massive shift in them when they would shoot me but then go and grab the doctor's bag and fix me and there was a shift in empathy and that shows the process of them processing those bits and stuff it's, it's a lot deeper than that yeah. but that's just a rule but i can't sing praises high enough for filial therapy especially for children with trauma
1: and I guess that goes back to them not necessarily being able to vocalise their yes. emotions yes. and their, and their sure. experience. Yeah. And so that is the play-based... Mm. 100%. Because yeah. we know as
0: like early childhood educators, that's a la- one of the languages of children is play. Yeah, They explore the world that way. They project their theories about the world that way. They connect with people that way. There's so much that's so important about play. This therapy just marries up so well with that for children. Mm.
1: I liked what you said about families and parents just having to dig deep. Yeah. I think as a mum myself you have those moments where you have to really pull yourself yeah. out of it and just having those words digging deep and being yeah. with your child and in that moment that's resolve, yeah that resolve. because yeah. you
0: know we know through ideas of attachment theory and stuff like that when we stay in those moments with children mm. they become less and less over time because mm. we are co-regulating with them emotionally mm. but also allowing them to realize that this is a safe space and it's okay to feel this way yeah
1: because you know I mean? it can be confronting yeah. for you as an adult for sure as well especially if your child is yeah has, definitely has experienced trauma yeah, for sure but to really stick with them and yeah. have that empathy and yeah definitely thank you so much justin mm. that's has just been so great talking to you yeah. thank you so much justin. my pleasure nadia thank you visit our website at
0: www.emergingminds.com.au forward slash families for a wide range of free information and resources to help support child and family mental health. Emerging Minds leads the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health. The centre is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Program.